Shortcast Club. Hi, I'm Avi, founder of Shortcast Club. Each week, we highlight some of our favorite shortcasts. If you like variety, this is the podcast for you. Happy Labor Day weekend! As you hopefully enjoy a long weekend of rest and relaxation, here is something to keep in mind before you get back into the work-school routine. Dr. Ben Rain is a PhD neuroscientist who explains the brain on his shortcast, Make It Brain, with Dr. Brain. In this episode, he looks at a study that asked, "Can more sleep make you more athletic?" Can getting more sleep make you more athletic? In this 2011 study from Stanford University, they asked 11 players on the men's basketball team to get as much sleep as possible for five to seven weeks. The researchers wanted to know if getting excessive amounts of sleep could improve athletic performance, and it did. After getting an average of 10.4 hours of sleep per night, the players showed improvements in reaction time, significantly faster sprint times, and they were about nine percent more accurate at shooting free throws and three pointers. Of course, they also reported being less tired and having an improved mood. Now, I do have multiple problems with this study: that one, it's a small sample size, and two, they have no control group. So we can't say for sure that they didn't just get better because they were doing these tasks all the time. But there's also another study showing that a 30-minute nap after a night of bad sleep could also improve sprint times. Overall, I'm a huge proponent of sleep for improving overall health. And while you may not need 10 and a half hours a night, I strongly encourage you to improve your sleep habits wherever you see room to do so. I'm Dr. Brain. Follow for more neuroscience. Second, Dr. Ben Crosby's shortcast. Trivium U: Timeless Training for Professional Communicators. Can you actively listen and talk at the same time? In this series of videos, we're talking about how to listen actively, and for many of these videos, I've been talking about how to listen visually, how to show active listening with the body, with the eyes. But did you know that you can also show active listening with the voice? What do you mean? You can listen and talk at the same time? Actually, yes. In this video, I want to talk about verbal affirmations. Have you ever spoken with someone and they're just doing this constantly? Yeah, yeah, uh huh, yeah, uh huh, uh huh, uh huh, yeah, yeah, uh huh, uh huh. What message is that sending to you? It's basically telling you to shut up. They're not interested. They may think that they're affirming what you're saying, but really they're just hurrying you along and overpowering you. What you need to do here is use verbal affirmations, but only once in a while, just enough to show that you're aware of what they're saying. Uh huh. Hmm. No way. Mm-hmm. Just once in a while, show that verbal affirmation by using the uh-huh, yeah, no way, wow. Just once in a while to show you're there, you're present, you're listening. Continuing on the theme of great conversations, Joshua Terhun, a therapist. In this episode from his shortcast, suggest seven questions to ask your parents or grandparents to start a great conversation. I love this idea as a way to connect on a deeper level and learn more about our loved ones as people. Seven questions to ask your parents or your grandparents. I'm a therapist, and I love asking questions as they can be keys that open doors to great conversations. One, can you tell the story of your first kiss? Two. Who was your best friend growing up? Three. What is something you'll never understand? Four. What is something you wish you would have learned sooner? Five. What is something you've never told your parents? Six. What's the best gift you've ever received? And seven. What was the best day of your life? 
I'm in the process of making an Instagram where I'll post these questions, but I'd love to hear what you guys think. I'd love to hear your answers. In the same vein of getting to know someone, next we hear from Daniel Lim, who has reviewed over 5,000 college applications. In this episode of his shortcast, Limmy Talks, he shares the most moving college essay he ever read. At 5 minutes and 37 seconds, this segment is one of our longest, but worth sticking with. This is a college essay of a student who battled cancer. Dear little me in a hospital gown, I know you've seen your name on hospital charts and operating room boards countless times. I want you to know that this week I saw it on a diploma. Everything is okay. But there's no diploma for what you are going through. The only certificate is written on your body, on your spirit. Here's the hard truth. Soon your body will no longer be yours. It will belong to the surgeons. Your friends will go to the movies. You will go to clinics, drained of life by a seemingly invisible killer. They'll dress up in ball gowns and dance. You'll dress up in hospital gowns, alone, your only company, the mechanical shriek of a magnetic tube. The tests at a desk will be easier than the ones outside of school. I cannot offer you a cure to your current suffering, but I can tell you that living in fear will only make it worse. On May 18th, the eve of your first major surgery, you will feel like giving up. You'll hope just for a few minutes that the tumor will take over. You must keep fighting. You have the strength to work through the pain and emerge a better person. Your body will be your syllabus, and each time something happens to it, you will learn and be inspired to research even more. This moment will push you into the library, where you will read hundreds of journal articles and sit mesmerized by surgery videos. You will learn to locate Callet's triangle, identify gallstones on a sonogram, and know exactly why that slice of cheesecake made you particularly nauseous. As you come to know your body, you will take it back. With each turn of the page, you will recover yourself. In 11th grade, you will go to the hospital again and again, but now to help other children, to play Uno with toddlers, preparing for flu shots. You will return to the OR, this time awake, and experience the transcendent beauty of a perfectly excised glioblastoma. You will someday walk through the doors of the operating room, now a surgeon, and your knowledge and experience will help others to recover their bodies, to find their strength, or at least that's our current plan. You will help animals too. Each summer you will travel to Utah to support and love all of the creatures at Best Friends Animal Society, many struggling like you are now. I know that your current world is nothing but machines and the sting of fluorescent lights, but in mere months you will be surrounded by the infinite awe of mammoth redstone canyons and the glow of perfect twinkling stars. When you, captain of the softball team, slam a bright yellow ball into the outfield, driving in the winning run, and when you hoist 225 pounds of solid steel straight in the air at a powerlifting competition, that thought hasn't crossed your mind yet, I know, but trust me, it's an amazing feeling. Acknowledge your past pain and recognize the strides you've taken. Know that though I've left you behind, I will never forget you. You were with me when I lifted the bar, when I hit the home run, each time I returned to the hospital. I remember you because you're a mark of my fortitude and toughness, but I also think of you because you're a reminder to be kind and generous to others, to support my community because everyone has pain and many are struggling with unseen challenges. You're going to be okay. This spring, we'll trade your itchy cotton hospital gown for a beautiful blue satin one, and this one comes with a funny square hat.
That was one of the most beautiful essays that I've ever, I've ever read, I think. The student not only wrote a beautiful essay, but she also had the research and the experience to back it up. Here it says, in summer and fall of 2022, she did research on genetic epilepsy in mice as a seizure model, which she submitted to the American Academy of Neurology's 22 to 23 Neuroscience Research Prize. During the summer of 2022, she interned under Dr. Theodore Schwartz Epilepsy Research Lab in the Department of Neurosurgery. In spring of 2022, she did research on KCNQ2 and KCNQ3 related proteins as a treatment for patients with acute subdural hematoma presenting with injury-related epilepsy. During the summer of 2021, she did research on 5-ALA fluorescence and blue light headlamp and loop combination for easier, more economic removal of high-grade glioma. In the spring of 2021, she wrote an article, Why Do Benzodiazepines Act in a Time-Dependent Way? On top of her impressive ass science research, she also writes poetry. Here's a piece that she wrote, titled The Succulent. Sits atop its sparse Sahara at sunset, succulent stomata, all set to spread. Echeveria pulvinata, aloe barbadensis miller, and cactaceae spread the sense of the word as the cylindrical structure of the sprigs form a phyllotaxis. The stomata stay open until sunbeams singe their skin, a method of efficient photosynthesis. Until the sparkle of the sun shuts their cells, a function of their crassulation acid metabolisms. The succulent's specialized epidermal cells are subsumed under the simplification of soft skin serried with sharp spikes. These cells shelter the succulent from scavenging spider mites, a smart shell of safety for the armored autotrophs. The self-sufficient succulent's standard, simplicity and sensibility of function, a seldom seen value which society views as superfluous in fashion. When splendor is chosen over utility, a soul cannot seriously surmount to the succulent's true beauty, somatic complexity. Now this is a college application. Fifth today, let's hear another update from Dr. Wes Ely in his shortcast, Dr. Wes Ely's Medical Updates. He's a professor at Vanderbilt, an ICU physician, researcher, and founder and co-director of the Critical Illness, Brain Dysfunction, and Survivorship Center. He shares with us new data on what develops from acute COVID into long COVID from two new studies. Hey friends, Dr. Wes Ely here. We're learning fascinating things scientifically about what develops from acute COVID into long COVID. I'm going to update you today on two new papers, one in Nature, one in Science Translational Medicine. Here's the scoop. If you get COVID and you were exposed, you test yourself, it's positive, but don't develop symptoms, turns out there's a gene in your body for HLA B15, which protects you from developing symptoms because your T cells are better at processing the virus. One or both of your parents may have given you this gene. If you have that gene from both of your parents, you are eight times more likely to have asymptomatic disease which is dangerous for other people because you can spread it to them, maybe good for you because you don't feel so sick, but it's a bad public health problem for those around you. Second thing we learned was that in another genetic study published in Science Translational Medicine, if we looked at the, at the mitochondria, now what are mitochondria? Remember, mitochondria are in your body, they convert oxygen into energy. So if your mitochondria get diseased, and become geriatricized, as we say, or, or, or older mitochondria, they won't work as well. They won't create energy from your oxygen that you're breathing in as well, and you end up profoundly fatigued 
cognitively and physically, and we call this PEM, post-exertional malaise. This is a big part of the problem that 65 to 80 million people have in the world who are suffering for months and years after COVID with this problem of long COVID. So we're learning a lot of science out there. What does it all translate down into, distill to for you? Basically these things. This is a real disease. Listen to those who have it, pay attention to them, walk with them in their suffering. I, as a scientist and others around the world are designing clinical trials to try and get scientific answers, medical answers for treatment of long COVID. In the meanwhile, uh, we want to be kind, loving to the people who are suffering. We want to do what we can to protect them. Um, I still very aggressively wear masks um, on, uh, on, on planes and in closed indoor spaces. I do this. Uh, I am vaccinated. You may not believe in the vaccine or you may know people who are vaccine injured. That is actually a real thing. You can get vaccine injury and it can create a disease like long COVID. Now, um, that is vanishingly small in comparison to the number of people who have long COVID from the disease, the virus itself. But uh, these new scientific things we're learning that I'm telling you about today with the HLA B15 and the mitochondrial thing are going to help us develop other ways to help keep you protected and safe. Everybody be well out there. I hope this was at all helpful to you. Wes Ely, uh, over and out. Next is Tammy Amet, a psychotherapist, in her shortcast, Therapy Beyond the Couch. She talks about what are core beliefs and about how to uncover and rewrite yours. Hi, I'm a psychotherapist, and these are five things you should know about your core beliefs so that you can begin to rewrite them. Number one, your core beliefs are value statements about yourself, your worth, and your place in the world. Things like, I'm not good enough, I don't have control, I'm not important enough, it's my fault. Number two, your core beliefs are created out of traumas. And traumas are not the events that happen to us, but our internal process in response to those events. Part of our internal process is creating the core beliefs. Number three, your core beliefs are your biggest fears. Those are the things that you work really hard to make sure nobody finds out. Number four, all of us have one to two large core beliefs. These are our lifelong journeys, the things that are here for us to learn from and to rewrite, and a few smaller ones. And number five, if you wanna find out what your core belief is, head over to my website. There's a great core belief quiz there and you'll get an explanation of your core belief and how it impacts your life. Related to rewriting our beliefs, being called a hypocrite is something we tend to think of as always bad, but we're just humans, and it's okay not to be 100% consistent, right? In this next shortcast, Nathan Nobis, a philosophy professor at Morehouse College, asks a question about hypocrisy and expressing life principles. So I have a kind of vague question about hypocrisy, and I wonder what you think. Um, it seems to me like very roughly a hypocrite is somebody who does not um, act in accordance with their own stated principles. Um, it's not merely that you don't act on your own principles. Um, that's not being a hypocrite, or the person would be, wouldn't be noticed as a hypocrite. So it's like you express or endorse principles that you don't follow. Now, I suppose a lot of people think it's bad to be a hypocrite, and probably sometimes it is, but like sometimes it could be good to be a hypocrite. You know, what if somebody says, like, my principle is to be mean to everybody, and they're actually nice to somebody? You might think, well, that was good that you were 
hypocritical on those principles. But here's my question. So it seems like you can be perceived to be a hypocrite only if you express principles, state them, and then not act on them. So here's my question. Is it better to not express principles? I mean, it's good to have principles, but is it better not to express them? Or is it better to express them and maybe be a hypocrite sometimes? What do you think? Eighth today, we hear from Kayla Yuli, a business coach for online stores. In this one-minute episode of her shortcast, she talks about candle selling. Now, you might not expect much from an episode about candles, but hang on. Her analysis is very enlightening. She surfaces great marketing insights that are valuable for any field. Getting profitable in candle making is super hard because not only is the market oversaturated, but you face two types of barriers. Requirements to make the product. The barrier for that is very low. Anyone with a few hundred dollars and some time spent on YouTube can become an expert candle maker. However, the barriers to enter into the industry itself are incredibly high. You'll notice we only have a few big competitors like Yankee, Bath and Body Works. They have the lion's share of the market, the billions of dollars, and they control most of what happens there. So it's a two-edged sword. Thousands of lots of sellers at the bottom trying to compete for what's left over against the big guys at the top. This doesn't mean you can't be successful selling candles, but you only have one way to do it. Super strong differentiation. You have to make your candles so standout different that no one else in the market can touch you. For example, the girl who made the blackout candles, no one else had done it and no one could figure out how she did it. The guy who sells the cereal candles, it looks like a bowl of milk with spoon. Thompson Ferrier, high-end, luxury, gold-coated candles that nobody can touch because they're so expensive. You gotta differentiate so aggressively that you pull yourself out from the thousands and thousands of other sellers in the market. At Shortcast Club, something unique about our app, platform, and web tools is that we are exclusively focused on short format audio. Next, we hear from Marcel Eaton, an author, editor, and writing coach. In this episode from her Shortcast, she answers the question, how do I make sure that my main character is the one moving the plot instead of the plot moving the main character? How do I make sure my main character is the one moving the plot instead of the plot moving the main character? You're asking the right questions. Really important thing, your character's decisions need to matter. So if they had made a different choice, something different would have happened. Overall, however, the best way I can think to answer this question is your main character's character arc should be what is driving the plot in the sense that every conflict that they face is something that is trying to bring something out in them specifically like with every new scene you are trying to inch them forward towards that final like revelation so before you even start outlining you need to be really clear on three things what your character's need is what their want is and what their false belief is the want otherwise known as the goal is going to be the thing that your character consciously thinks that is like the thing that is going to make them happy it's the thing that they're aiming for usually people don't have any trouble coming up with the goal then they run into trouble because they never came up with the need which is what actually will make your character happy and this is really important but your character always or in most cases starts out being wrong. They think that something is going to make them happy, so that's their goal. But the reason they think this is because they hold this one false belief that once that gets cleared up, they'll realize that what they really need and what they really want is this other thing. For example, imagine your character committed a crime in their past and they think that the thing that they really want is to get away with it. They need no one to ask any more questions about it and to just leave the past buried. But you know that what they need is to come to terms with what they've done and to be forgiven. 
And the only way to do that is to come clean. And the false belief here would be that getting away with it will bring them peace. Knowing that, you can create an outline that tests these beliefs. So you're gonna put your character in situations that will remind them of what they've done or make people come really close to finding out. And all the time they're like worrying about people not finding out and everything, the last thing they have is peace. So eventually you're gonna have one thing that just breaks them, the thing that like pushes them over the edge and they realize like, I can't keep doing this. Like I'm never going to be at peace. I need to come to terms with what I've done and confess and maybe find forgiveness. So for actionable feedback, make sure that every time you're writing a scene, you're asking yourself, what is this bringing out in my main character? Like what is the goal of this scene? Because the goal should be to push your character towards that final realization. Of course, there's gotta be some conflicts. There gotta, there's gotta be some obstacles and things that make them take a step back and kind of go back to their original belief but you're generally in that trajectory. To wrap it up, let's hear from Tyson Mutrux in Lawyer Tyson's Shortcast. He's an injury attorney in Missouri, and in this quick episode, he explains a mistake many people make when filing an injury claim. I'll tell you a really silly mistake that some people make whenever they file an injury claim, and it's really dumb, and they usually do it because they're mad, they're angry that it happened, they're angry at the other person for not paying attention, but what sometimes people will do is they'll say, oh, well, he did it on purpose. He came after me on purpose. He hit me on purpose. And it's really stupid. You're saying it because you're mad. I understand it, but it's probably not true. That's part of it. It's probably not true, so you shouldn't say it. But the more important part for your injury case is that if they did it on purpose, which you're making that argument that they are, it's gonna avoid the policy. Because an intentional tort, let's say it's a car crash, if you say that the person hit you on purpose, an intentional tort, then it's gonna avoid the policy. There's no insurance coverage. So don't make that allegation. Even if you do truly believe it, if you don't know that for a fact, you shouldn't be making that allegation because you are gonna risk not having any insurance coverage to cover your injuries and the medical treatment that you need. So don't make that mistake. I understand you can get angry at times, but you got to calm down. You got to think it through. Take a deep breath. Think it through. Don't make that mistake. It's seemingly small distinctions like that that I love learning about from the experts on these shortcasts. I hope you enjoyed this taste of some of our favorites from the week. If you did, please subscribe and tell your friends. Also, please consider leaving us a five-star review. It helps other potential listeners find the show. We really appreciate your support as we grow it. There are links for each of the creators you heard today. Check it out in the show notes. Also, check out more great shows available on Shortcast Club. Download the app from the iOS or Android app store. Search for Shortcast Club. Thanks and happy listening.